it's time to sit down and interview what some people in the entertainment business do. So sit back and relax, and you will see there's so many talented people on understudy. Hello, all you beautiful people. How the feck are we? I hope you're having a great week. Um, I'm glad to bring you this episode during this midweek Wednesday. Um, and thank you everyone for listening to my last uh, episode. It was really, really good. We got an, a lot of followers, a lot of listeners, and I was really um, astounded and happy. So thank you. But you guys aren't being that vocal in the Instagram. So I don't know who's liking it, who's not liking it, who's actually listening to it fully. So please get on the Instagram, give me a shout out, let me know, comment on the post saying, hey, Kian. Great podcast. You look beautiful, by the way. You're amazing. Ah, oh, thank you, mom. I really appreciate that. That's amazing. But yeah, no, I want to. <laughs> I want to hear from you guys. I want to listen to you guys. Want to create a family, a community. If you have any questions about acting, if you have any questions about uh, directing or writing or dancing or any other art forms or anything you want to see or anything you want to know, let me know in the comments or DM me, and 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 I can get that to you guys or I can try and get that to you guys so uh, yeah now to introduce you to my next guy uh, my next guest who is an amazing human being he's an incredible person he's a, he's a longtime friend of mine and teacher and I'm very grateful um, for all the wisdom and knowledge he's shared with me over the years and in this podcast and I think you will really find this podcast very interesting he's an amazing accomplished playwright he's an accomplished director he's an accomplished actor and he's an accomplished amazing human being this guy is one of the most empathetic people i know and he really really loves the craft really cares about people and and you go you'll see it in this episode i don't want to give too much spoilers away but this is che walker i uh, hope you guys enjoy guys and enjoy the rest of your week let me know what you think there's so many talented people on Understudy. Hey, everyone that's listening, this is Che Walker. Che is, is, is born in London. He's a writer, actor, director. Yeah. Bollocks. What am I missing now? <laughs> writer, actor, director, and teacher. And teacher, yeah. yes. And, and between the four jobs, I just about make a living. So <laughs> that's, that's the dream. I have four jobs around. But you, you've been quite successful in every walk of your life in, in that regard if you if you I've look had at moments yeah yeah i mean yeah. you got to direct in the globe theater right and you got to perform i, I never do I, I didn't direct at the globe i wrote two plays for the plays globe. was at the globe yeah there was, was a real it was an extraordinary experience they were directed by a brilliant director matthew dunster right um but that that globe stuff was incredible it yeah, was, and then uh, you were also at the Royal Court with Ben Salong. I started at the Royal Court when I was a ben kid. Salon. Is that what, was that your first play? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that was, uh, Ben Salong was 98, 1998, and it kind of uh, put me on the map a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then we did the play again in 2009. We turned it into a musical and we right. ran it at the Young Vic. And then yeah. it got picked up by um, Greenacre Films and the Dean Marsh Edwards at Green, Greenacre Films and it ended up being on Netflix. Um, so it kind of, been so long kind of popped up like the 1998 and then 10 years later, 2009, actually 11 years, 
and then 2018, the film. So those characters kind of pop up in my life every 10 years. Yeah. And what's been really beautiful about that play is that um, young people find it afresh. Uh, and um, so every 10 years, people read it and go, oh yeah, I, I get this. I know, I know these people, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Because I, I seen it in 2017 or 18 in Los Angeles, you know? So for a play to being written in the eighties to be still in the twenties, you know, pushing yeah. the twenties, that's a great, um, a great play, right? Yeah. You know, as, as, as the longevity of it, you know, when, when we're talking yeah. about writings, we want that to, to be everlasting, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I wrote it in the nineties. I'm not quite that old, but um, but thank you for the sentiment. I hear eighties. Sorry. Yeah, no, nine. I wrote it. I think I wrote the first draft in 95, 96. 95. Um, and then it was on in, in ninety eight. But yeah, I, I um, and it's a strange thing when you consider the first works of writers. There's often something very uh, distilled about their essence. I actually just when I was in Jamaica, I read um. Tony Morrison's first novel, which is called The Bluest Eye. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, this was her first novel, you mm. know? And, um, you know, I'm a big Cassavetes guy. Just before he died, they said to him, what's your favorite film? And he said, um, uh, Shadows, which was the first one he made in 1959. So he made another 20 films. Yeah. They said, that was the best one I did. What's <laughs> the first one? Um, I think because there's a kind of sense of innocence and a sense of discovery. Yeah. I didn't have, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd, I'd grown up in the theater and I'd been around it all, but to write a play, I was clueless. Yeah. And I just, it just came out of me quite quickly, actually. The, the, the first draft was quite quick to write. Um, and um, there's a purity to that. There's a purity to the bluest eye. There's a purity to shadows. Not that I'm comparing myself in any way to Toni Morrison or John Cassavetes, but, um, uh, there's just something happens and there's a there's a joy I think one of the things that people really respond to within so long is that there's a kind of joy in it there's a real um, sense of discovery mm. and a sense of celebration uh, even though it, it's quite a there's some really sad moments in the piece yeah. but uh, people respond to that and you know Mir, would you would you also agree like say that was your favorite one or do you have favorites no i i it isn't my favorite it isn't my favorite i mean you it's i don't it's not it's, it is a little bit like having a kid you, you you don't have favorites you know you've pushed so hard to sell them mm. and you've worked so hard and you've had to kind of dig so deep so it, it is impossible to have favorites but i think i have on a technical level i think um I think the next one, Flesh Wound, is is technically much stronger. Okay. Uh, and, and weirdly enough, Flesh Wound was a much bigger hit at the Royal Court uh, than Vincent. Vincent was did well. Um, but Flesh Wound was really like people like, this is really, really good. And it's very strange. You're talking about longevity. No one's done Flesh Wound since then. Uh, and they, and, but Vincent Long is, gets put on quite a lot. Mm. Uh, but Flesh Wound, I was was at the time made a bigger splash. Uh, I was lucky enough to win a couple of awards, which came with checks as well, which was really lucky. Amazing. That's <laughs> um, um, and yet that play hasn't quite lasted the same way that that one has. What do you think um, it is? 
I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I, um, I have no idea. It's cheaper to do. There's only three characters. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, I think it's a stronger play um, on a technical level. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, Kian, it's it's strange. You 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 got you got guys who can look at what's happening in the world, and they go, "I'm going to write about this because this is what's happening now." Mm. And then you got guys like me who just go, "This is what's happening for me in here, and I'm going to write that." And I've always been that guy. So so sometimes my plays are right on time. They just arrive on time or, or something, I, anything I write. It just arrives, you go, this is the play for this moment. Right. Um, and other times they don't. And I think that's partly why things land. Fashion is a very strange thing. You know, you can go in, and I've been in and out of fashion over the course of my yeah. career. Um, I've been the hot young thing and then it kind of drops down and then I pop back up. Mm. It's dropped back down and you just get used to riding that wave. I think we all think as young people, we think our careers are just going to have this kind of upward trajectory, yeah. you know, where we just get, you know, yeah. more and more success and more and more success. But in fact, it's more likely to be like this. That's more likely to be the natural rhythm of an artist's life. Right. Um, Your ups and downs like a wave. Absolutely. absolutely. It's very interesting you say that because... I, I'm I'm like that myself, you know. I, I have a feeling that my you know my career should be going up, 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 and up. And then when it hits a, a drop, you think you failed or you've 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 you know you, you're not gonna make it. So no. like I was actually one of my questions I was gonna I, I usually ask people is is did you ever want to quit? I want to quit pretty much every week. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't, I don't trust any actor or director who doesn't have that, right? Uh, because um, what a fucking stupid way to spend your life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, but uh, but you have to question, you know, you have to be thinking: Am I of use? Am I? Am I? Uh, uh, whatever skills I've got, are they better used in? getting into politics or getting into community organizations or and and just the um i think the dangers of what can happen mm. are that you it's such an intensely competitive thing and what can happen is uh, and i certainly get this is you just look at other people and you think what's this guy doing working how come i'm not working and this guy's working and that doesn't do anyone any good because the guy who you're worried about he probably most likely doesn't even know who you are. And yeah. all you're doing is giving yourself indigestion. Mm. Um, and so that that can start to have a kind of blunting effect on your spirit. And fighting through all of that is the, I think this is the real test of, of the journey of the artist. You've got to, you have to know your own worth. You have to know that there are going to be dips and there's going to be uh, barren places, and then there's going to be incredibly fertile periods as well. And understanding that and uh, being able to ride it and not getting um, caught up in all of that is, is, is in a way that the, 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 the life's work. You know, it's um, my, mother, my mother's an actor, and, and she always says it's, it's quite unmanly. When you get a guy who's a little bit older, and they're kind of still fighting for auditions and all that. It's like, it makes you a little bit unmanly, you know, and you have to have a sense of your, um, 
that sense of your own worth, sense that you have something to offer. Mm. And whether someone else sees it or they don't see it, you can't really control that. You know, you, yeah. you, can, you can pursue the obsession. You can find ways of expressing what you want to express. And some pe if people are going to dig it, they're going to dig it. And if they don't dig it, you just have to find a way. Doing it has to be enough. The struggle is, is enough. There's a, um, I think it's a Swahili war song uh, that I read about once in a book and, and they sing, but before they go into battle, it, it, it translates as um, we're going into battle. It's not up to us whether we win. It's not up to us whether we die. All of that is in the hand of God. And life is a, is a war. Life is a struggle. So let's sing and let's celebrate the struggle. And you have to find a way of celebrating your struggle. Uh, and that's easier said than done, my man, because there, there's certainly been times as a young dude where I'm looking down the back of the sofa trying to find some change, you know, and I'm buying a loaf of bread and tin of baked beans. It's like, that's my dinner. You know, yeah. uh, things are better now, but... Um, I remember those periods and it's, 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 you have to hang on to that self-belief. It's kind of, when you're young, it's kind of easy because it's quite romantic. Um, and then as you get older, and especially if you have friends who've got like, more uh, conventional jobs, if you have, no job is conventional, what do I mean? More mainstream, Stable. secure. Yeah. Secure, where, yeah. And you see them buying their houses and you're like, I could no more buy a house than jump over the fucking moon. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it does and it makes it it makes it it does it makes it you nearly have envy for that person you know because you're like oh i want that or, or you know like oh let's go out for dinner he's like yeah i, I can barely afford bread let alone yeah. you know <laughs> going out and getting a meal let's go for dinner but i'm just gonna have a starter yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's like that yeah. friends where they're like trying to split. Oh yeah, we'll just split it evenly. And Joey's having a heart attack. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, all of that is the struggle, and 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 um, that's yeah. That you you um you have to deal with that. Mm. Unless you're incredibly lucky, and then uh, that comes with challenges too. You know, the fame is a test for mental health as well. But um, yeah, and not being famous is also a test. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we're going to be tested either way, you know. Um, but no, you know what? It is very interesting. And I, I'm not going to get too political because I don't know enough about political. But but what's going on in, in the world right now? Yeah. With, with suicide and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of celebrities coming out about it especially with yeah. the, the whole royal kind of incident you know mm -hmm. it shows that money is just another another trap right you have to kind of uh, i never met, yeah i i never met a rich person who uh wasn't suffering yeah you know it's obviously a different kind of suffering and uh you know but they were all they were all crazy they were all crazy and they, they didn't know who to trust. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's difficult. It can be a lonely, sad kind of um, yeah. thing for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I would agree. I think, you know, it's nice to be able to define who you are, right? And, and uh, value yourself. You have Absolutely. to have value for yourself. 
and no one else, you know, I mean, it's great if you have family and you have friends that have support for you, but you need to understand your own value. And because the only person that should be putting value on you is yourself. And that's the only way to survive the acting world and the entertainment world. Right. Because what we do is sometimes we hand or, or, or we fall into this trap of handing other people the right to value us. Oh, you're totally. hot right now because you have a certain amount of Instagram followers. So we're valuing you higher. So we're going to give you a pay, higher paycheck or we're actually just going to hire you. So we go, yeah. oh, that's my value right now is, is because yeah. I'm hot now or I'm not hot now or I have a certain amount of followers. And we fall into this false sense of, of value. And it's really... Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've had that so many times. I've, I've written something that did well or... Um... You know, I was on uh, uh, so. Uh, is this going to America or here? I was on a soap called EastEnders, which I guess your English people would know about. Yeah, I mean, it's going. Uh, I might have five followers, Jay. Five years ago, <laughs> or maybe maybe none. Well, you got six now. You got six um, now. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, definitely, and suddenly you're famous, and you think, oh, I've done it. This is it. It's gonna go on and then it just fades and then you have to deal with that and yeah. and your reasons for doing it change as you get older and I, I think there's only one reason to do it which is that there's something inside of you that you want to uh, uh, reveal and uh, that's through the imagination of the, the, your dramatic imagination right um, and uh, I think also I think the way that things are now um you gotta create your own work i started writing because i just wasn't working as an actor um and i regret it now some people said after being so long you know and i was 28 you know some people said oh you know you should put yourself in one of your plays and and i remember saying nah that's cheating you know and i really regret it now because i see i see all these people creating work for <laughs> you know like like fleabag right fleabag um yeah, that was, that was originally a one-woman play, if I'm not wrong. Is it? We did that as a one-woman play. Yeah, yeah. And, and look how that just extremely blew up. That was, absolutely, amazing. absolutely. I mean, it's a great piece of writing, and she's brilliant. Uh, but the timing of that was perfect, and clearly spoke to women all over, and men, obviously, but spoke to women all over the world. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I worked with uh, I was going to call her Fleabag. <laughs> I worked with Phoebe. Phoebe was in my play uh, Crazy Love. She was called Phoebe White at the time. She right. she thought Phoebe Waller Bridge would be too posh, so yeah. she changed she changed her name <laughs> to Phoebe White. And um, man, she's a hell of a talent. She's she's yeah. fantastic and a lovely person as well. And she's nice to work with. Oh, joy, brilliant, total joy, warm, yeah. playful. All the things that I'm looking for, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's great. She's great. How did you get into acting? Was it acting you started off with? I, yeah, I started acting. acting. Yes. So my, I, I kind of grew up around it. Um, my mother is an actor uh, and my father is a, was a, is a theatre director. Uh, so I'd, I'd grown up around it, but I didn't. My dream, my dream was actually to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> still representing them. Sorry, still representing them. The, still repping. I'm still repping. I didn't, I didn't make the squad, but I bought the, I bought the hoodie. Um, my dream as a kid was to do that, and then um, I, I did a school play, and 
there was a girl who'd always ignored me and she really sort of was like, wow, she was really interested in me. And I was like, oh, you can get girls doing this, <laughs> um, you know? And um, it took me a while, I think because my mum was in it, it, it took me a while to kind of actually own it and say, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I uh, did some youth stuff, youth theatre, and then I went to a school called Weber Douglas which doesn't exist anymore, it's folded. Um, uh, but uh, that was a hundred years uh, that school was there. I was the year below Mini Driver, it's done pretty well. Mm. And um, wow. yeah, yes, yeah, it's how yeah. I got into it. Is it hard? I mean, because for those of you who don't know Che, Che's mother is also a, an extraordinary actress, Anne Mitchell, who yeah. is a, um, a Laurence Olivier um, nominee. She's yeah. done absolutely phenomenal work and she was quite well known. She's quite famous, right? Yeah. So yeah. what hard for you to to grow up in that shadow? Or was it a shadow that like people yeah. are like, oh, his mother is this person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's um it, it it that was challenging in some ways. It, it's um people think you're gonna be better than you actually are because you know she's so good, you know. <laughs> um uh but it was um, also great. You know, I, I could go to her with a script and just say, oh, look, I'm struggling with this part. And we could yeah. kind of talk about it. Um, uh, and also because my mum my was not an overnight sensation. Mm. She got her break in her 40s. So I, I saw that struggle. I was part of that struggle, you know, where she was just doing part-time work. And yeah. like, you know, things were really, really tight. And then she got her break and then things improved. So I, I think uh, I was never under any illusion about what the life was like, you know. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, you hope you're not letting down the, the family side. <laughs> <laughs> the family business, <laughs> the reputation. <laughs> um, so you got into the industry and you started to act and you've been in quite a, you I, I was just actually checking out your IMDb earlier you you've right. quite a, a nice IMDb for acting as well right um, because for me like growing up I, I, how I met Che was I went to uh, Los Angeles and I went to the Stella Adler school and and, yeah. and Che was a teacher there so yeah. I'm kind of coming off from the end of 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 how you your trajectory and in, in, in career wise, you know, not the end yeah. of your career, but the hopefully not the end, yeah, not the end of your career, but the part you did. Yeah. So what was so you you acted, and at twenty eight yeah. you wrote your first play, yes. and then did you start directing or how did that? Yeah, come? yeah, uh, I um, yeah, the whole journey of it was I left drama school. I did okay. I was I was working quite a lot. I, I, I believe I've got about maybe 40 to 50 TV parts, but they're all, it was all kind of cops and, you know, bouncers and stuff like that. It wasn't that challenging, to be honest, the stuff right. that I did. Um, and uh, then I hit a bit of a patch where I wasn't working. It was a quiet patch and I had a job, um, I've kind of missed this job actually. I was, I was basically security in a in a building, a community center, that was kind of empty, and this was before mobile phones, before cell phones, before really before the internet. So you just sat there, man. You know, it was like I I just had to sit there, and um, the concentration I found because I was 
pretty much on my own. There was one other guy who would work and, you know, he'd do a patrol and then I'd do a patrol. And then we just kind of sit there just talking about boxing or whatever, you know. Um, and that's how I started to write. I, I started to write on those, those nights that were like that. And um, then the play took off, uh, we sold it in, I think the Royal Court at the time were, um, they were refurbishing the Sloan Square. Right. So there was a whole kind of dead period where, it, 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 where I just had to wait. They were like, yeah, we're going to do it, but we need to get our building together and all of that. Which oh, was, man, that must have been so anxious. Yeah, it was. It was like, don't change your minds, you know. Um, don't, don't die. Don't any of you die. <laughs> um, and then I think the 90s were different. The late 90s were different in that there was a, a perception. I remember people saying, oh, you're a writer now. You, you don't want to act anymore. I was like, what do you mean I don't want to act? Of course I want to act. Of course I want to act. What, I wrote a play? And so um, my acting slightly took a second uh, uh uh, second, um, secondary role. Secondary role, um, and the writing was taken off. You have to go where the heat is, and then after been so uh, after Flesh Wound, which was two thousand and three, I became very interested in in directing. And by then, I'd been in a, quite a few plays right. as an actor, and I realised that um, there were a lot of people. Well, I'm going to just say it. Who just really can't direct uh, and and um, think they know how to direct? And I, I unfortunately, I worked with loads of them. Um, and um, so I, was, I had that experience. And I noticed that what would happen was sometimes other actors would say to me, "How was this change? You know, help me with this monologue." Yeah. You know, and I kind of, you know, obviously you don't want to tread on your director's toes, but I said, well, you know, this, you know, and I realized, you know, maybe I, maybe I can help people. Maybe I can help. My whole thing was like, when I started directing, I was like, I, I just want the acting to be really on point. Mm. I wasn't I was less interested in the visuals. As I've gotten older, I've got a stronger visual sense. But I was like, if the acting is hot, then we've got ourselves a show. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if someone has a problem with the lights, that's a really big concern for us, you know? Of course, if they're focused yeah. on, we're we're in trouble. You got to be able to see the show. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fundamental. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who was um, he was, he's a great actor. And, yeah. Uh, when we were in school together, his name is Luke Barry. Actually, I've actually had him on, and uh, he's he's a great friend. But when we were in college, we were acting, you know, and and during one of the the tech rehearsals, um. The, our teacher and our director was was you know lighting us and uh the 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 lighting lighting engineer goes to the the teacher hey um so what are we doing for luke how are we going to light him she goes i just fucking give him a blank light and he's gonna walk all over the place anyway <laughs> he's gonna do what he wants anyway because luke was like whatever i go i go Fuck lights, you know <laughs> but it was great because she knew that about him and she yeah. admired it because of of how it was so she she was like yeah give him a blank light because i know that's how he does it. so it, it's interesting to work with directors who aren't afraid of actors you know so oh. this 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 kind of ooh. yeah Oh yeah, uh, there's a yeah. It's that's very common. They're, they're they're afraid of actors. They don't really understand what's at stake for the actor. Yeah, uh, and um, they're kind of a, kind of afraid of emotion somehow. They're kind of afraid of the kind of the 
the emotional volume of a scene or, or, or no, I think that's very interesting Jay because I find a lot of actors including myself can have such a fear of directors sure you know you 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 know like this big big director you don't want to piss him off you don't want to be yeah, yeah, improving yeah. too much in case he doesn't like it or something so you're nearly afraid to be as creative as you want to be and it's so yeah. funny because we both work in the same project or the same thing and we want to share a beautiful story and there's a barrier between us you know yeah yeah i mean i think it's it's all case by case you know, the directing is, is that, that director is the loneliest person in that room and, and he or she is, is really scared. Uh, but they ha also have to present a kind of um, facade of, of competence and that they're kind of able to handle anything that comes up. And a, a, a big moment for me was, I remember working with some actors and they were like, well, what, how do we, what's, what, what is this scene? I and I, I just said, um, I don't know. I don't know. Let's 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 go through it, you know. And and it, it, it's okay not to know. It's yes. okay to say let's find out what is going on in this play together. Yeah. Um, because also you're trying to find out if you're trying to work like, the way I'm trying to work. You're also trying to find out what's going on with the actor, where they are in their life, what connections they have with the part. What some sometimes that's great and sometimes it's not. But you're looking to find a way of working with each individual person. Mm. And um, me, I, I like to keep the room very playful when I'm directing. I like it to be fun. Uh, other directors, um, uh, one director I know, uh, and I think it's, a lot of it is tied up with the fact that he's not very tall. Um, he's like a real, like that. But the thing about that guy was I noticed people got it, people didn't, you know, they're like, yeah, it's cool. That's him. And, you know, Friday, he's the first one in the pub, first one buying around, first one cracking all the jokes. But it's just when he's in the room, he's like, mm, mm, yeah. mm, mm, like that. Um, uh, and you, 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 you work a room the way you work a room. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's up to you. But I think, yeah, you don't want to be afraid of your director. No. You, you, you've got to trust them. You've got to trust them. Even when you think maybe, ah, oh, I don't know if this is right. You've got to just go, all right, I'll try. Mm. You know, you know. I mean, I think as actors, we need to, like you said, one of the talents we need to learn is how to be so adaptable at working the room. And it's not an acting thing and it's not a business thing. It's 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 a coping thing, right? It's like, okay, I know I'm a great actor, but I need to be on I need to understand how to work with it a director that has different ways of approaching it as I do. Yeah. You know, and I think that's it. I think what I'm learning for myself as an actor is that there's so many different things you need to learn to be an actor that has nothing to do with acting. Right. Yeah. It, there's a lot of skills you need to learn. You need yeah. to be very good at communicating. You need to be very yeah. good at listening, which is also obviously the most important thing as an actor, but as, as a person, you need to also be able to adapt and listen and, yeah. and, and feel and, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot in it, you know? Well, you know, every job is your first job. Uh, and um, uh, you, I can't, I can't give a good performance if you're not giving a good performance. We both have to give good performances. Mm -hmm. And you might come at it from a totally different, you might, your whole approach might be completely different to mine. Yeah. But when we get up there, we've got to just grab hold of each other and make sure it clicks. 
works and make sure it works. And I think well, that's another thing I've, I noticed with some directors is that they, they think they think one approach is going to fit all. Now it can't, you know, the, what, will, what will unlock you is not what will unlock me. Uh, what unlocks a Shakespeare play is not necessarily what's going to unlock a, um, a Sean O'Casey play, right? Even though they both have similar things. Um, and, and, and it's that that I find is lacking sometimes, that flexibility. And I, I come down to, as you know, I, I, I like talking about sex. <laughs> In, <laughs> what, what, the hell, what was your quote? Uh, all acting, acting is... Yeah, it's... Well, there's nothing you can say about acting that you can't say about fighting and fucking. It's the, the three things are the same. And it, you can't just... Every fight a guy has, every fight a boxer has, is his first fight. Right, yeah. Right? Because yeah. it's now. And it's like, well, okay, this worked in the last fight. <laughs> if it doesn't work in this, I better fucking think of something, right? Yeah. And I think the same thing applies with, with sex, right? And I think the same thing applies with acting. It has to have that newness. And it doesn't matter how many times you've done it. You are still taking that leap together, you yeah. know? Uh, and, um, and you can't really do it on your own. You can't really have a great boxing match on your own. Watching a guy shadow box isn't that interesting, mm. you know? <laughs> this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. You know, I want to see your headshot and then with that, acting <laughs> is just like, oh, there's no difference between... There's nothing you can say about acting that you can't say about fighting and fucking. There's, there's nothing there's you can a... say about acting that you can't say about fighting and fucking. Guys, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. <laughs> And I heard this in Che's class of, uh, the first time in, in LA, and I was like, "It's amazing! I've never been fired." <laughs> <laughs> but my first thought was, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" <laughs> and then I was like, "Hmm, you know, I think he might be onto something." <laughs> well, a fight goes wrong for a guy when they sort of stick to a plan. They don't respond to, they can't make adjustments yeah. to what's coming at them. Mm. Uh, and I think that the same is uh, for an erotic encounter with someone else. Um, the same thing can apply. You have to you work it out between you. Yeah, I'm in trouble here because I only have one move in that regard. You're saying all girls don't like that one move I have? Oh. <laughs> But you know, like the 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 the, the rhythm of a of an encounter like that is mm. something that comes through listening. <clears throat> and I'm going to say it's the same thing with boxing. You know, they're kind of they're actually really listening to each other, and they're really they make each other great. I just watched the Irish Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti fight number one. Wow! What a fight! What a fight! I, I, I can't believe I missed it at the time. My boxing coach said, you don't know that fight. You need to see it. Yeah. Um, but talk about two guys who just, they, I mean, I wish acting was like that. Mm. They just go, bam, here's everything I got. You know what it is? When you see those greats, and I think, like you said, it, it's case by case. It's yeah. script by script. And it is a dance and you have to find the rhythm. I was actually talking to another great actor um, about rhythm. And yeah. he was doing, um, I've had him on the podcast, and I think we've talked about this. Uh, he was doing Burn This. Oh, yeah, great. Um, great. 
and he was like, <clears throat> I figured out the rhythm at one point, and it was jazz. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, once you get that rhythm, and once you get that rhythm in a heated argument in in a play, it can be like that. And I've I've seen great pieces of theater where I'm I'm like, it is like a boxing match. When you see yeah. Matt Hall for the first time and they're talking about the tape, you know, don't record over the tape, and it's this, it's this finding so, stuff that they need to say, and it gets so hot, and you're on the edge of your seat. You know, and once you see that, it's brilliant. Well, you're talking about jazz. I mean, I'm a big jazz fan as well. Like, you know, everyone knows that we're playing all the things you are. Everyone knows you're going to take a solo for this amount of time. Everyone knows what key we're in. Everyone knows what the tempo is. But after that, anything can happen. The drummer can put a little flick on the thing and the saxophone goes, oh, that's, and it takes him down a whole other path. But yeah. the structure is still there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the things when... I don't want to generalize about American actors or British actors. I think it's really boring. But I, I, I think sometimes my time in LA, I, the it was just like this. You know, they were so free that in fact it just actually became less interesting. You have to have a structure. You, you know, Burn This is a brilliantly written play, mm. and and the the rhythm that you're trying to find is something that Lanford Wilson's laid out for you. And the difference each night is just these subtle little, almost electrical impulses that make it different, that take it in a different direction. It's not about suddenly going, you know what? I don't feel like saying to be or not to be tonight. I'm not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you know, you have to say it. The, the example I always have is that um, when I was in Othello at the Globe, at the Globe. Uh, we had... play, sorry, at the Globe. Was that what? Which character did you play? Oh, I played uh, Senator Number Two, Ooh. and then I played Cy Cypress Gentleman. <laughs> I was barely in it, but um, there, I was part of this massive sword fight, and that was a really interesting experience because there were six guys leaping off tables, you know, slashing at each other, turning around, spinning all this. Now that's not a situation where you can suddenly go, "I'm going to surprise Kian tonight." Instead of slashing for his knee, I'm going to drive it right through his eye, right? You know, you have to stick to the to the, uh, the meat, the rhythm, if you like. You have to stick to that choreography. You have to agree what it is, and then you stick to it. But every night it was still new. The discovery is about discovering the impulse. It's not about suddenly going, I'm not going to open the door tonight. I'm not going to slash that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's where I think, and particularly sometimes with young actors, they go wrong. They're like, oh, it's all. Yeah, they see they see certain things taken in, like certain improv, and they feel right. like it's just, it's not, it's 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 not managed, but it is, right? Absolutely Meisner, right. You know, Meisner is all about seeing your partner and, and finding those new impulses, but yeah. it's not, you need to listen to your partner. You need to listen to the circumstances of the play. You know, absolutely it, it, right. And I think that the interesting thing about Meisner and, and and there's lots of people with all kinds of ways of doing Meisner. And mm. and and for a long time in England, there was a kind of war between these rival schools, which I was just mm. like, look, you know. But the paradox of those exercises is, is in fact, they're quite. Um, there's a lot of boundaries to a Meisner exercise. Yeah. I'm going to describe your face. Right. And you're going to listen to that. 
then you're going to describe my face. We're going to repeat a sound back and forth, back and forth. The, the almost Zen paradox of it is that it's quite a thick boundary. But right. within that boundary is a kind of freedom that very few other systems can, can get you to. I'm not saying they can't, because I, I don't care if you're Meisner or Stella or however you train good acting is good acting but mm. but uh the wildness that can come out in a repetition exercise or with a really well-trained meisner guy i think is partly because of the structure of the exercise the, ex the exercise is incredibly simple and they're incredibly structured and and that's and we've gone back to jazz uh it's the same thing you know it's the structure is there mm. they're not just you know, you're not playing in F and I'm playing in D and next man's playing in this time. We we know we know what we're we know what story we're telling. Yeah. We know what story we're telling. Uh and, and going back to boxing, um, same thing. You know, there's plenty of tough guys on the street, but they don't have the technique. Yeah. They get what you must have and seen. The rules. Oh, right. You still have the stick exactly. rules. I mean, you can switch up your game plan, you can switch up your rhythm, but you can't hit below the belt. Exactly. You can't suddenly kick a guy. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that in the little boxing stuff that I've done and hung out with. You know, you see a guy and on the street, they're absolute terror. But they get in there and in fact, the technique isn't there. Yeah. And they get picked apart very quickly. Um, and so it's the same thing for us. The, the, the precision and the technical foundation must be secure. It must be robust. And that's what leads to the freedom. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that's what I believe. Obviously, I'm a theatre guy. And obviously, I came up through uh, the, the English classical tradition. Um, and, uh, and it took a while for me to kind of reconcile because the kind of acting I was interested in was, you know, I just worshipped taxi. I had the poster of Taxi Driver as a 20-year-old, yeah. uh, Dog Day mm. Afternoon, all those films where it feels so loose. And, you know, but all of those guys have tremendous technique. Yeah. Um, but marrying that to what was being said at Weber, where it was like, stand straight, make sure the voice is connected, mm -hmm. you know, make sure we can hear you, get rid of your accent and all that. And I was like, fuck this, man. I want to be fucking John Cazal, you know. But um, eventually you synthesize the two, you know. They yeah. feel irreconcilable. But I, I, going back to jazz, those guys can't play until they've got a certain level of technical ability. They yeah. can't, you can have all the ideas in the world, but if your fingers can't move up and down that saxophone, we'll never know them. But also you need to learn, like we said, you need to learn, you need to be strict on yourself. You need to learn certain chords. You need to learn how to do it. So when you're in an acting school and you're like, right, stand up straight, do this, do this. You can forget that if you want, but yeah. you need to know it. Because if you don't know it and you need to do it, you can't do it. But if you know it and you don't need to do it, don't do it. And I totally. think that's exactly right. Do you think that there's um because you 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 teached so much in, in England and in in Los Angeles, is there a difference between English actors and and American actors? And what is that difference? I mean, I'm always nervous of that because I, you know, there, there's I've seen some of the best Shakespeare I ever saw was in New York with American actors. I thought they were just fantastic. Mm. And I've seen some of the worst Shakespeare in England uh, with English actors, you know. So when you start getting into generalization, 
I know that over here there's a, and sometimes it's a bit of a weight in England because we've got 400 years of dealing with this guy, Shakespeare. Yeah. And we come out of this bravura tradition where we, it's, it's, you know, you have to have that technical mastery to be able to hit that back wall uh, of, of massive theatres and be able to ride huge epic speeches. Um, and so the technical demands, the technical emphasis of an English training, English classical training, uh, it, as I say, it's how I came up. That can be wonderfully liberating and it can also be a, a, a chain around your neck dragging you down. Um, and again, we've been very, very generalized. The, the American actors are brilliant improvisers. I mean, uh, you know, you saw some of them little short films I did over there. When you say to them, okay, just improvise around, it's like they just go, yeah, oh, you, this I know how to do. Um, and, and, and again, we've been very lazy in a sense, but improvisation is at the core of all the great work in America. We've just been talking about jazz. We've been talking about the, you know, the blues is an improvised folk form. The, even the novels, William Faulkner, uh, even Melville, going back to Herman Melville, it feels free form. I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure they plotted these things out meticulously, but it feels like a guy just coming at you with a story. It feels like a guy talking to you in a bar. Right. Uh, and they have that. Um, so that's the difference. But the thing is, Kian, as I say, there are so many actors over here who would just make my theory crumble. And there's so many actors in LA and New York that make my theory crumble. Yeah. I, I really do believe, like, you know, I mean, the Danish guys are awesome. Um, you know, Japan is full of incredible actors. Korea is full of incredible actors. I just think it's one of those things where whatever training you've had, you get up onto that stage together or you get in front of that camera together and none of it matters. It's just how much of your power you're able to access. Mm. And how does my power coming at you make you bring your power? And, um, and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty yes. of it. I, I can think of so many examples. I remember doing uh -huh. a play with, um, he's dead now, beautiful man, Edward Harvey, absolutely class, class, class. Old English gent, you know. And um, somehow we got talking about Meisner and all that, and he was just baffled. He was like, I don't know what any of you are talking about. He was an older man. He'd come up through Olivier's uh, company. He right. was one of the original members of that company. Wow. Uh, and he worked at the National and he'd done a ton of Shakespeare. But that guy was doing everything Meisner was talking about, that fluidity, that attention, that sensitivity, that uh, instinctive response to each other. He was just doing it because he was good. Right. Um, and I think back to my basketball days, when I went to high school in LA and I remember doing this drill and we were looking at fundamentals, we were looking at fundamentals, triple threat position, all this, and we're just drilling it, drilling it, drilling it, drilling it, drilling it. And uh, I said to the coach, yeah, I'm really getting this, this is really good. And he said to me, um, yeah, but of course, you know, none of this is a substitute for being seven foot tall. <laughs> and um, I think that's the truth. None of it is a substitute for having talent, right? You, you get guys who trained all their lives and then you get a guy like Daniel Kaluuya, who's a wonderful student of mine, and I see he's been nominated today, which I'm thrilled about. 
he 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 studied with me a little bit at the weekend and he went to an evening class uh anna share over in Is islington uh but he has no formal training he just he's just really really fucking good and so no one knows what works no one knows um there's no blueprint is there there's no there's no right answer there isn't really i'd say you got you just got to be on time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is um so for Che's class <laughs> one thing i will say about la is this is that oh, people geez. are always late um even and you don't respect uh theater in the time wise i mean theater's only on weekends from what i i've experienced yeah, that's right. in yeah. los angeles right thursday you know, to sunday yeah if if in Ireland and in England, if a play starts at 8 p.m., that means at 8 p.m., the curtains open. In yeah. Los Angeles, if a play starts at 8 p.m., it's like, oh, yeah, people get there at 8 p.m., and when people are seated, they'll probably start at 8.15, depending yeah. on people. So yeah. Chase class with us, which I really respected because I was – and um, before I went to LA, I was I was trained in theater performance in Ireland, and my teachers were quite strict. You know, yeah, if you're five minutes late. You're you're fifteen minutes late. You know, that's yeah. just yeah. um. So, oftentimes people wouldn't would come in a few minutes late. But in Che's class, Che had this first rule at the start: is that you come in here five minutes early. Uh, if we start at nine, we start working at nine. You don't uh, the class doesn't start at nine you don't get in at nine it starts working when i close the door you don't come in yeah i close the door at nine o'clock you should be ready to work at nine and i completely agree with this and i completely like it i don't think i was ever late but there was one girl that was always late for classes but she was yeah. never late for chase class because he would <laughs> shut the door i think she, he shut the door at her one time and that was she's like can i come in it's like no this i don't just say these things like this is an actual rule if you're not it but it only has to happen to you once and you're never late again. Exactly. And, and um, yeah. I can remember, I think it was your group turning up and, and all of you were sitting there 10 minutes early, like stretching out and, you know, ready to work. And it only takes a term for it to kick in. Yeah. Um, but it is so fundamental and it's fundamental for um, obviously professional things and the reputation. And obviously like if you're doing a film, they're just losing money if you're late yeah. uh, and they can't shoot, but that's, that's fine. But a deeper reason is what we were talking about, which is about the rhythm um, and uh, the rhythm of a scene. And I'm, if, if I'm not ready to say, um, you know, Oh, thou foul thief, where hast thou stoned my daughter? If I'm not on time for that, Meaning is my, if my spirit isn't ready to say it, it, the words might come out my mouth, but it's going to be empty. So, I, and you know, boxers as well, they're always, they, they'll always say, I couldn't quite get into my rhythm. You know, um, jazz musicians, you know, I've had the experience, my, I'm a terrible singer, but I remember singing at college and this guy was slightly playing the song too slow. And it's like, oh, we, we just can't get going. Mm. So, I say that what we do can be boiled down to an essentialized thing, which is that we're on time. So the gun comes out, or, 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 or we go in for the kiss, and it's exactly the moment. 
we talk about being in the moment. And I say to be in the moment means you are on time for that moment. Nothing else can happen except this gun coming out. Nothing else can happen, but I suddenly start singing, my time of day is the dark time, you're right? Nothing else can happen other than this kiss when, when Romeo and Juliet kisses. Yeah. So for those reasons, as well as the fact that we just, you know, we want to have a good rep. We don't want to be wasting money on rehearsal rooms that aren't being used, you yeah. know. Um, but it was, a, it was a real uphill battle in Los Angeles. And I think partly, I just spat on, spat right on your face. Buy <laughs> <laughs> me dinner first. <laughs> um partly it's it's the traffic there makes everything very difficult and the distances people travel um and then also just that kind of sunny thing people are a little a laid back attitude yeah relax yeah uh and again it's important not to generalize that people like you there are so many wonderful students there who really battered it Again, like I don't like to. I'm not saying these things to take anything away from anybody. <clears throat> yeah, you know. And I really actually learned something today, or realized something today, and, and I really liked it because you said, you know, we bring our power, or we bring our understanding, we bring our experience, we bring our skills and our training. Yes. And instead yeah. of making it like you said, like it's not supposed to be versus a Meisner actor that comes with a, a Stella actor. We're supposed to learn from each other, teach each other, yeah. experience with each other, instead of going, well, my technique is better. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, it's, 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 Absolutely. but teach me a part of you and I can choose to accept it or not. As long as what you're saying, the rhythm is good. We're on time and we respect each other. Listen, when I'm directing a play, I haven't got time to talk to you about Strasbourg and Uta Hagen and, I'm just going to tell you, look, I think that speech is a bit slow, right? Yeah. Do it quicker. Now, how you decide to do it quicker, that's up to you. I don't fuck with that. That's your business. You know, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I just want it, I just want it to be good. I'm just looking at like, do I believe this? Am I moved by it? Does it make me laugh? Um, you know, I'm going to give you a note. Well, you know, pick up the cigarette on that line. You know, that's all I've really got time for. And yeah. Uh, Meisner versus Hagen and classical acting versus this one doesn't it, it just doesn't apply right it just doesn't apply it's like my it's like my coach said none of it is a substitute for being seven foot tall none right. of it is a substitute no. for having talent you know <laughs> I find that very interesting because I always would would see it as the opposite because you like so here's my question to you what is talent Oh, well, that's very difficult. That's very difficult to... Right? Yeah, yeah because the way, the way I see it is this, is that training, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong because what, what yeah. you're saying, but my my thoughts on, on, on talent is this, is that talent is great up until a certain point. And yeah, I said, that's I, true. I would much prefer a trained actor who loves acting than a naturally talented person because like I said in boxing or I trained a lot in Krav Maga right and in Krav Maga they train your instincts why because you're not in the ring in Krav Maga you're getting yeah, punched right. back ahead so when you get punched you if you're not trained to do something your your yeah. adrenaline will will make you either freeze up or kind of freak out yeah. but if you train when you get punched in the head you will react Absolutely, way, yeah. you know. So I always try and compare it to Jake. You know, Jake, uh, Sydney Cohen, and I probably 
Jake Cohen, yeah. On these podcasts, but Jake yeah. and me are, 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 are two different people, right? And, yeah. and I would say I have a certain amount of training behind me before Jake did. And yeah. maybe some of my natural talent was there, right? But Jake trained so hard. When I was yeah. out at a barbecue in LA enjoying that sun, he was at home reading everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everything he was watching, every film he's reading, everything. And I would say now, Jake is 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 such a peer to me. From right. from where my experience had, had had been, like I had you know three or four years professional experience coming into that class, yeah. and Jake had nothing. And right yeah. now, I would go to Jake and ask for advice, you know, because sure. I think that training when the shit hits the fan and the glass falls off the table in the theater and you go into shock. The training will kick in. That's what I believe, you know. So completely. No, I completely agree with you. And I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying don't have a training or don't, but mm. I'm just saying I don't care. I don't care if you're a Krav Maga guy or a, a, a Taekwondo guy. You know, let's yes. let's right. let's make something together. Yeah. Let, let's put these styles together. Um, the question of talent is, of course, unanswerable. I I, I, I have no idea. I know what I like. Yeah. And I know there are uh, there are people who I think are absolutely phenomenal actors who have struggled, uh, and then there are certainly people who I don't respond to their work. I don't. I'm not interested in them, and they're making a huge amounts of money. Uh, uh, and and that goes back to the earlier point. That all of that is a test that that will drive you crazy, right? right? Just yeah. going, well, how come this motherfucker is working? And this one isn't. It's it's fashion. It's random. I think one of the things that I think a lot a lot of the conversations that are happening in 2020 and into this year, if we naturally respond to people who look and sound like us, uh, and if the people who are in charge, if the gatekeepers all look and sound a certain way, if you're different, it's very difficult for them to know to respond. And I think that's slowly cracking open. Um, I just know, you know, I'm doing the RADA panel at the moment. I'm, I'm watching, the, it's all on self-tape this year, wow. uh, which is interesting. <clears throat> um, but I just know when I watch those tapes, something happens where I just pull forward and I'm, 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 I'm hooked. I'm somehow, um, I find what's happening compelling and it can be a bit messy and it can be not perfect by any means, but I know that something, and then when it's a bad tape, I, I'm just like, do you know what I mean? I start staring at the window and I'm like, oh no, I've got to watch this. You know, my yeah. mind just drifts off. Um, but that's indefinable. I mean, a lot of the time on that panel, we have big disagreements, you know, and, and the person I'm working with is just as experienced as me extremely talented person and she's going oh I, I just didn't see I didn't see that Jay you know and yeah. then I'm sometimes with her I'm going how, how come you like this you know there's it's like falling in love you know uh, you, you can't plan that mm. you can't plan it it's a kind of chemical reaction that you have. yeah it, that's, you know? it's so interesting and I have a question for you in, in that regard. I mean, it's like falling in love. It's like preference. Like, how do actors, how do we survive that? How do we deal with that? You know, because because I do an absolute phenomenal show, right, for myself. I believe it's good. 
and you don't like it, and so I get a rejection from Rada. How do I like like what is what do I do with that information? You know, for the other like for actors that are trying to come out that might listen to this. Yeah. How do I bounce back? You know, because you just told me it's not that you're not good. It's just I don't see you like that, but my other person does. Yeah. How do you find what? How do I improve? Is there a way to improve, or do I need to? Or yeah, I think there's always a way to improve. As you say, you've got to read at least one play a week. You've got to be watching not just. I'm not knocking Netflix or anything, but you know, dig deeper into the history of cinema and see some of the earlier films, the earlier great actors. Go to the theater as much as you can. It's a way of life, um, and and our way of life is that we have to somehow deal with the assault on our self-confidence that is rejection. Um, it's difficult to really give advice about that, Kian, because all of it is so personal. Yeah. And um, your reasons for doing it are, are, are ideas about why actors become actors, but ultimately your reason for being an actor may well be different to mine. It's, it's private for you. So yeah. to give you advice about it is very difficult. Um, you. It, I, I remember getting rejected for drama school when I was 19. I applied and I just thought, I, I'm, you know, I'm the best looking guy in, on my street. You know, I'm tall, I've got a six pack. There's no way they're not gonna take me on, you know, yeah. and I just flat, like I didn't get a recall. I just got nothing, I got absolutely <laughs> gained. And um, that was the making of me because I remember it vividly. I remember sitting in the park and, and, I, and I did have a little cry, you know, and then I just, this unshakable feeling, I remember it so powerfully, it came over me and I was like, I'm gonna get in next year. And there was no doubt, I was just like, I'm getting in next year. Yeah. Now, that I think is, you've either got that or you don't, right? You either are, are, are gonna come back the year after or you're not, does that make sense? Very, yeah. You know, I had a, another teacher that had the same thing. He's from Australia and he was trying out right. for Moda. You know, right. Moda is, is quite like Rada in, in, in the selection process. Yes, of course, yeah. And he said that he did, um, now is the winter of our discontent. This was his monologue for, for Nida, right? So, yeah, and he said, he said, this time he did it, he was, he did a great job. And I yeah. think they said, they said, you know what? Good job, but I think you're not right right now. Maybe come back next year. Yeah. Back next year, he does it, okay? And he says it was the best he's ever done. Yeah. He gets a, he gets a no, right? So he's like heartbroken. You know, he did the best thing he's ever done. He gets a heartbroken, right? So the third time he goes, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. But he said, like, I'm not going to get in. So he goes out drinking the night before comes in a bit hungover and he says, yeah. you know what? I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. He says, I'm going to do it again because I'm going to try it different. So he gets all the people, you know, because I think they, I think with, with NIDA is that every actor applying is in the room and one steps up and right. does it. I think that's they're, how it goes. So he says, watching each other. Yeah. everyone just face this way like you're you're looking at the at a soldier. So everyone faces yeah. the way he says that and he does it. And the, the judge goes, yeah, yeah. He says, come here. And he, he says, this was the applicant, your application last year. And she, he writes on it. He's like, he's perfect. But we want to see if he'll come back. We want to see if that he has that. So it, he, they wanted him the year before. 
Yeah. But they wanted to see his character. So yeah. they said no. And it's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, it's, it's either that breaks you or it doesn't. And, you know, if it did, if it broke him, maybe he, sh- he wouldn't be able to handle the rejection yeah. of the industry. I think, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And there's a point where, you know, you know, where I'm doing the boxing training and I just go, right, that's enough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not, I, like I cannot, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't go any further. You know, yeah. it's too, it's too hard. And um, the and I, I agree with you. I, I, if, if it's for you, then it's for you. And you find a way into the industry. The one thing I do get nervous about sometimes is when you're dealing with people from uh, very, very poor backgrounds or minority backgrounds yeah. who don't have that support. And sometimes I, what, I tell you what I would like to be able to do, and we and we can't, is to just feedback a little bit and say, listen, you're not getting in this year. Work on this. Work on this. Work on this. Boom. And then it's up to them. And we don't have that latitude. And I, and I agree with the reasons why we don't have that latitude. Um, they just get a letter or a, nowadays an email saying you're not through. Um, and they have to. They they never know whether they were close. They never know what they need to work on. Yeah, all of that. But but ultimately, Kian, you're absolutely right. It's 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 you know you, you, well, the cliche is you know you don't choose to be an actor. Acting chooses you. Um, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But it does. It never felt like a choice to me. It just felt like I I have to do this. Mm. You know, I absolutely have to do this. Yeah. Uh, um, that I wasn't well I've been fired from everything that wasn't writing directing teaching and acting mm. so um, you know I was fired as a barman I was fired as a bouncer I was fired as a construction worker I was fired as an office junior <laughs> you know, I was fired as a waiter so I was yeah. like all right I, I, I really can't do anything except this you know? yeah yeah no it's very interesting um I keep saying very interesting a lot. I've noticed that. It is very. It is actually very interesting. And I, it's so hard for me on this podcast because I want to really, you know, I have so much admiration for you, Jay, and I want to kind of highlight everything. But from the start of this podcast, we've, we've really got in deep and, and it's amazing. So it's hard to kind of talk about everything. But what you're saying, there's a lot of great points. And, you, you know, you, you do a lot of teaching um, with people from minorities and from rough backgrounds, yeah. right? And you said yeah. that, you know, that's a part that you find hard because they might not have a support bubble. And the way we do it is, um, with the rejection letters, we do it for a specific reason and it's, yeah. you know, it's generic. But do you think that, you know, everyone's, you know, we do have different circumstances and a lot of time with circumstances, they're systematic Um, they're not by <laughs> choice. But, uh, from people so do you think that take that back because i lost my connection for a bit so um, i'm saying that we we a lot of people from different backgrounds especially minority backgrounds there's a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. systematic things in place and i'm not yes, trying absolutely. to be political i'm just trying to make out it, it, it is what it is there has yeah, yeah, been yeah. oppression on certain people or there has been um certain minorities in in a poorer uh bracket are or yeah. um that have certain struggles like you said and you you've yeah. worked with them a lot um, you work with people that are, have those sort of struggles and from your experience do you think that maybe there 
should be a way for panelists to take it into consideration and maybe try and figure out how to get that hard, strict uh, way of judging people, but but also give back a little bit to say, look, you might not have a certain, um, you know, support bubble or a certain um, training that other people have. So this is why we think that you aren't right this time. You know, know, is there a way that we can do that? Well, I think there is. There used to be a lot more freedom for us. Um, the reason why they don't do it is this, and I, and I, I respect these reasons. Uh, let's say you come in, Kian, and we're interested in you, and we, we're thinking, oh, let's just, let's just poke around a little bit. Let's find that. So we say, okay, do your speech again, but this time do it like this. And we actually work with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we take the time to find out about you and, you know, you've come from this place and, okay, that's cool. And so you come out of your audition. And the next person who's going to come in says, how was it? And you say, oh, it was amazing, man. They had me doing it on a chair. They jumped around. They spoke to me about this. They spoke to me about that. They gave me some really good tips. And they're like, oh, great. And then they come in and we're not interested. <laughs> so we just watch their pieces and go, okay, thanks. You know, and they're like, this guy ain't getting through. They then go away and they say, hey, man, I don't understand. The, the guy before me was in for 45 minutes and I was in for 15. That's not fair. We've both paid, right? So then they brought in this thing um, where they just are like, you just, you can't really give any feedback. You just have to watch the pieces and go, right. thank so you. No, this doesn't seem to be like favoritism. Exactly. And I, I respect those reasons, but it, it does lead to situations where you see someone and you think, if I, I've got two things that I could say to them that would really help and I, I, and I can't. You know, and most of it is just saying, don't give up. Yeah. Most of it is is as simple as that. Don't give up. Yeah. It's not your year. Don't give up. Even if I was allowed to say that, you know, yeah. but we're not. And I respect the reasons why, you know, uh, um, course, yeah. it has to be regulated. You know, people are paying money for it. Yeah. But I think the deeper issue, Kian, is access to performing arts, access to theatre, access to youth arts, access to musical instruments, or access to a studio where you can make beats, access to a creative writing teacher. That has to be baked in and has to be part of the the dough, if you like, if you're following this thing, um, of a community. Uh, And access to that is what I'm really about. I think it's got to start when you're five or six yeah. Uh, um, and and you know so many people say oh i should go to the theater you know like it's like going to the dentist so yeah like it, i should i know i should go because it's good for me you know and a lot of them say you know when i get there i do kind of enjoy it but but it's like they kind of got a drink it's not like it should be like going to the pub or yeah. going to the football you know like oh we go to the football saturday or you know yeah. oh come around and watch the football at my house it should be like that we should be invested in the same way in our community theatre or our local theatre. We could be like, that's that's my team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's my team. And I, I, whatever they're doing, I'm going to watch it. And sometimes it's terrible and sometimes it's brilliant. Mm. Um, um, but because there's this disconnect there and it's more 
yes, it's expensive, but even theatres sometimes, I mean, like, you know, the Globe is five pounds to go. Yeah. Um, but it's more about that psychology where people think it's not for me, it's something that's happening for the, for the privileged class, um, uh, yeah. and comfortable in here. And all those things, I think, you know, the, the, by the time you get to think, well, I'm gonna take a chance on one of these big schools, I'm gonna do one of these big auditions. You, you've already got to overcome all of that. Uh, and so that's what I would be looking for. Do you think that there's like a, a kind of snobbiness or class issue in theatre? Yeah. Okay. I do. <laughs> no, I, 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 I fully get it. But I do, I do. And I think, I think people are sincere about trying to break that down. And, and I think things are always shifting. Uh, and but it, but it's then you get into structure. Then you get into structural stuff about who who's on the board, the location of the theatre, absolutely the price of the theatre, uh, but also what are you putting on, um, and um, are you responding to your local community or are you just saying this is what's good for you? Yeah. Um, and um, I think that's true. I think it is progressing. I'm just going to take a sip of water. Mm -hmm. It is progressing. I think there is movement in these directions. I think people are getting a bit more humble and realizing there's a whole lot of people who who just we we've alienated. Um, and I think one of the and, and it's, a, it's a terrible shame. Uh, obviously, it's a terrible shame. And one of the things I think that happens is, you know, to fall in love with acting, to fall in love with performing, you have this incredible feeling like being in love, you know, you get to it about 17, 18, or maybe later, or maybe earlier, whenever. And you go, this is incredible. And it makes you feel like you're in a, a very level environment. Yeah. Oh, this is, this, all of that class stuff, all of that race stuff, all of that gender stuff, ableism stuff, it's all gone because we're just making stuff. We're just playing. Mm. And then you have this horrible realization where you realize, Actually, it's as class bound, especially in this country, and as racially insensitive as every other business, every other industry in the country. Mm. You know, yeah. and and that's a that's a blow. <laughs> that's a blow. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm. Sorry, I'm just. No, I'm I, it's hitting home. <clears throat> How do we combat that check? As artists and as performers, as writers, actors, directors. Uh, I, think, I think we gotta. Um, you gotta agitate for investment. You've got to look at uh, how schools teach theatre, how they teach creative writing. Mm. Uh, I would love to see the imagination placed much more centrally. Even if you're trying to teach science, uh, I was terrible at science, but I, I do know there's a quote from. Albert Einstein, who says, um, you know, for a scientist, imagination is more important than intelligence. You know, if you can right. imagine a black hole, you know, you can start to think about what it is. Um, uh, I think we want to, I, I just got so much as a young guy when I left drama school and I started working um, in community youth arts. Uh, I, I got so much from it. You know, I, I'd like to think that the young people got something from it too. Um, but it, uh, so I would say just, just get involved, teach, share, share what you have, find a community place near you, 
I volunteered and, and I eventually I, I, I made such a nuisance of myself. They gave me a job, you know, but <laughs> for a while I, I just used to turn up for free. I'm like, yeah, I'll do the warm ups for you, you know. And then eventually the teacher was like, okay, look, you take those four kids there. You work on their little scene. So like, yeah, yeah, great. And I did that. I did that for two years. And eventually she said, yeah, I think you're ready. You teach, you know, and um, that, that helped me a lot. You, you, I think we, one of the, getting back to that horrible thing about being rejected in those quiet times is you feel a bit useless, you know? Mm. And I think the pandemic as well, you kind of go, what is the point of music, right? But, you know, I know I couldn't have got through this pandemic without, you know, Aretha Franklin and, you know, yeah. Mozart, I couldn't yeah. have done it. You know, it just kept me going. So we are of use, but it's, it's making ourselves of use and it's, it's, we have to do things very small. If there's a church hall near you, you hire it out, you, you, you get your, your DBS um, and you say, well, I'm teaching 10 year olds drama class and it's three pounds or whatever, you know, whatever costs your thing. And, and those tiny, tiny, tiny little bricks in the wall will build something that will start to change. But it's, it's, it's uh, you know, as I said, you know, it's, it's a struggle. And, and we must celebrate the struggle. We, I don't think we're going to get the change that I would love to see in my lifetime, but I'm hoping that some of it will happen, yeah. you know, and, and it just continues. You know, our grandchildren might live in a fairer world where theatre is part of that, you know? Yeah, I usually ask people, you know, and I think you've explained it anyway, um, what, what your definition of an artist is and then i lead that question well what do you think a responsibility of the artist is and wow. i'm really thinking you've said it but i'd like you to just answer those two questions in a formal not a formal way in, in your own words yeah i think um the definition of an artist is uh someone who doesn't quit someone who just hangs on uh um and they do it through a sense of sharing and a sense of generosity uh, and uh, those bad times don't deter them uh, or even if they do get deterred they, they, they keep going. The responsibility of an artist is interesting because it's probably clear from the way I'm talking that I've got a certain political perspective and uh, yeah. um, but actually I don't think we have any responsibility other than to be true to ourselves. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of right-wing poets and uh, we're all interrogating now these books that, you know, have got sexist and racist things in it, but I, perhaps controversially, I'm like, they're still artists. They're still expressing a truth. And we don't like it. We don't like that about it. Uh, we don't accept that about it. But there's some humanity happening here. There's an expression of the human adventure that's happening here that is very skillful. Uh, so I say we, we, our responsibility is to tell the truth. And the, my truth is my truth, but you know, T.S. Eliot was an awful man. Uh, but uh, I love his, I absolutely love the guy's writing, you know, yeah. and um, he's just going, here it is. What do you want from me? Boom, there it is. But uh, that's our responsibility is to, is to reveal something.
Mm. Uh, and that something can be ugly, it can be unreasonable, it can be completely unacceptable to me. But if you're doing it and it's coming through technique and it's coming through skill and it's coming through originality, yeah, then I can't help but respond. I have to respond. Right. Even if I'm completely opposed to it, I still, as long as you're not, you know, writing something about doing something to a kid, you know, it's like, I, 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 um, I have to respond to it. Now, within that, that's, of course, a position of great privilege because yeah. I'm a white man. So it's like I can make those kind of things where, well, yeah. I don't like T.S. Eliot because he said this about Jewish people, but I love his writing. It's clearly very different if you're Jewish, right? And so right. we have to be aware of that. It's, but it's, it's interesting that you said that. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I, I, I think there's no... In, in, in our our lives as artists and as actors and, and as everything that, that comes with it, there's never yeah. any, it's never fine, right? Because like you said, I can say, look, you know, this person was really immoral, but he was a great writer. But then on the, on the flip side, we can like, do we support this person or do we not? Because we can go, right, Kevin Spacey, phenomenal actor, but yeah. what he did is wrong do we, yeah. do we do we still you know approve of his acting and, and and what he did for the arts or do we totally you know with this cancel culture culture cancel him um is it is it moral or is it not to do it i don't have the answer i don't know but then we have oscar Wilde. let's celebrate this guy he was amazing but he's also been found out to be with with, with underage uh boys you right. know but, but obviously we can't say that his writing isn't good it is good but yeah. how do we how do we say okay credit to him it is good but it, he is he was wrong for what he did and and do we cancel yeah. him or do we still say you know celebrate it i, I don't it's, know it's very nope. difficult it's very difficult all of that it's case by case basis and i think that's an example where you need all the perspectives uh um and everyone has to have a say in it i think it's a case by case thing my personally I, i'm i think this cancel culture is a little bit of a myth but you know no one's cancelled kevin spacey it's just that no one's hiring him <laughs> which is a very different thing right no one's taking his movies right 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 no one's taking his movies down you can still see his his work it's just that he's got a very serious case um, a criminal case and you know which he might be found not guilty we don't know right. but um uh all of that is very interesting and very naughty <sighs> you know I, I remember uh in la i went to see on halloween i went to see uh, roman polanski's repulsion which is a f wonderful film and some students challenged me and said you shouldn't be going to see that and i had massive respect for their perspective um, because he committed a, just an absolutely unconscionable crime. And I kind of weaseled my way around it because I was like, well, he hadn't done that crime when he made repulsion, um, which actually, in retrospect, I think is a kind of a weak argument, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I went to it. I thought it was a brilliant film. And then when I came home, I, I really felt a bit like I shouldn't have gone. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, I, it's it's very very difficult. All of that is very difficult. Um, I've been on this podcast before. I just, it's so unanswerable, isn't it? It's it is case by case. 
It's case by case. And as I say, you know, here's two white guys talking about this. A, a black person would have a very different perspective on, um, uh, you know, Mildred Pierce, which is, a, I think, is a brilliant film, except for this horrific, uh, stupidly racist depiction of the black maid. Um, or Gone with the Wind, or, or any of those things, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very clear on Birth of a Nation. I don't think anyone should ever watch that film. I don't, the original Birth of a Nation. Right. Uh, I just, you know, I don't think burn the negative of it, but I don't think it should be screened. I don't think, you know, I, I think it should be discussed. But that's my perspective. Again, you know, it, it's not going to hit me quite the same way. So it's a difficult one. It's a really, really difficult one. A lot of the jazz musicians I listened to were just horrendous human beings, horrendous. Treated their wives like shit, were violent, yeah. you know, but, you know, they start blowing, man. And I'm just like, there's, there's a, something coming out of them that is so very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I, I guess what I would... What I would offer is that, you know, if we consider Miles Davis violent to at least one of his wives, was terrible to women, was treated people awfully. Um, but it's more interesting than that because there's, you can't play like that unless there's gentleness in you, unless there's sensitivity in you. So he's, he's a very, very complex, multifaceted human being. Mm. And we want to somehow grapple with all of that. Yeah. We want to grapple with that. We want to say, you know, some Shakespeare's writing is very worrying and anti-Semitic and misogynist. And mm. he's also in some of the great feminist heroes, heroines uh, ever in literature, you know, um, and, Getting to a place where we can go, right, this is the whole person and I have to deal with it and I have to make a decision is, is, is a challenge. Yeah. Like the I definitely don't have... of, of, a, of a human being. Yeah. As we need to. Yeah. yeah so bit, I wouldn't watch Lenny Riefenstahl, the Nazi propaganda. I, I'm just like, I'm, I can't watch that. I won't. That's my yeah. limit. Do you think that that thing should be still recognized and observed by historians and teachers, you know, to go, yeah. you know, yeah. to, it's like a science, you know? I mean, yeah. the, the forest Renaissance body of people like donating their bodies for medicine is like, this is disgusting. It's it's not right. But, but if further something going, you know, oh, maybe yeah. look at propaganda to see how it's done is good. But yeah, maybe the general public shouldn't watch it, you know, but again, I don't know. I just like I like asking these questions. It's never triggering. I'm never trying to yeah, yeah. catch people out. I just I want to know. And it is interesting because like you said, and I'm glad you said it, is that we are two white males. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And we have that perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're kind of sitting there going, well, you know, and you know, it's not it's not our history and our culture that's being attacked. Mm. Um it's very bloody hard. I mean, this Dr. Seuss thing, I, I was quite clear on that because I think then you're adding something where they're, these books are going to children. Right. I don't, uh, the images of this African character and the, the Chinese character, I'm like, I definitely do not want my six-year-old niece looking at that 
I think that's wrong. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I, no question about that. Get rid of that. But then what do you do with uh, Merchant of Venice, or which I think it, I, to me is clearly anti-Semitic um, and also has some amazing writing in it. I, I, you know, I, I find that very idea. interesting. I love that because I often wonder, and maybe it's a certain privilege of me looking at it this way, because I often wonder if that was Shakespeare doing this on purpose, because we actually talked about when I used to tour with it. And, and if you look at it, it gives Portia the most heartfelt speech ever, you know? Incredible, yeah. Unlock the most, you know, honest. If you prick oh. read, bleed. Yeah. I thought, you know, his anti-Semitism was done on purpose. I didn't think he was anti-Semitic in it. I thought he was doing it on purpose to reach an audience. Because if he's doing a comedy, which if you look yeah, at like yeah. South Park and stuff, they, they, they make fun of how ridiculous we are being this way. Yes, you know, and 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 uh, the hypocrisy of Antonio and the, so I thought he was like holding the mirror of the society, saying, "Look, if I, if I, if he made a tragedy and and said it, you'd get booed. You're all cement. See, yeah. you English people are paid to see me get paid yeah, yeah, yeah. to see this. You know, you're anti-Semitic and it's wrong. It doesn't go down well. But if he makes it a comedy and makes a joke out of it, but also shows some right. doesn't make people think. Right, say he's completely anti-Semitic, and I'm like, wow." You could be definitely one hundred percent right, but then maybe yeah. I'm right. And who's to know? But, but how do we find a common ground? You know, because I like to, and I suppose it's discussion, isn't it? Right? I mean, I yeah. think okay. I you... think it's important to to do this because I think fifty years prior to that play being written, all the all the Jews were expelled from England. Right? They they, they right. had a horrible time, yeah. um, yeah. in England, and they got a horrible time in Italy, but. For, for me, Shakespeare, a lot of Shakespeare's writing is so controversial to his time that I think I think he has to be on the side of the oppressed to be able to write a certain way or to at least understand, make them human because the Jewish people were made inhuman. The Moors were made inhuman yeah. um, by, by, by the society that was, that was there. And he, for some reason, makes them human. Totally. Um, Totally. But I think, uh, you know, that's why it gets very complicated because, you know, there's little racist elements floating around, even when he's trying to tackle racism. Yeah. Um, and yet he's a genius. And that sort of, that's ultimately, I guess you get to, we're all capable of being absolute dickheads. And we're all capable of being very destructive and we all have all kinds of supremacist conditionings. Yeah. Um, misogynist conditionings. Uh, and yet we're also capable of tremendous grace and generosity. And it's, it's the exploration of that both in art and in our lives. And it is a case by case. There's a great quote from James Baldwin, which I'm about to absolutely butcher. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, uh, I respect your right to have a different opinion as long as your opinion isn't about whether I should exist or not. <laughs> it's something like that. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's a line that you can draw. You know, it's yeah. like, I'll debate with a right winger about immigration, but when you start saying, well, I'm going to just take the kid away from them and put them in a cage, I'm like, you, you've um, got something that's not part of civilized discourse right anymore. yeah you know, um 
So all of those things are, you know, people are smarter than me at wrestling with these things as well. Yeah. You know, and I, but I, I'm not a free speech absolutist because I can't go into a class and start swearing or racially abusing someone. And, and, and that's absolutely, I don't want to, but it's also, that's absolutely right. You know, that's, that's right. And I think a lot of the time when they, this, the right wing start going on about cancel culture, what they actually mean is I want to be able to say what I say and I don't want anyone coming back at me. Right. Uh, and, and that's what they mean. Um, and also I want to be able to say what I say and I definitely don't want to hear from women and I definitely want to hear from black people or brown people yeah. about what they're, you know, I've got the right to say it. And it's like, well, actually you don't. Um, we just had a thing, slightly digressing, I guess, but we had a thing um, with a neighbor who started blaming this, that poor woman who was murdered last week. And he said, well, she shouldn't have been out. She shouldn't have been out late at night. And it's like, he was on a WhatsApp group and, and we were like, no, that's not, that's not an argument. You know, everyone's got their opinion, but that's a, that's a, a, we felt that was unacceptable. Um, that was a line. We yeah. drew the line there. We were like, you cannot blame a woman for walking home at 9.30 at night. I don't care if it's four in, in the morning, whenever, yeah. uh, and being murdered. That's nothing to do with her. Um, and so with that, we drew a line. And, and in, fact, he, in fact, he voluntarily left the, the WhatsApp group. <laughs> there we go. This is, this is what you're saying about this cancel culture thing. Is look, if you have the right to say something, people have the right to reply. Yeah. You know, and it's the, same with the, the you know Pierce Morgan thing. I, I I know he stormed off, but Pierce Morgan yeah. has a, a history of of putting it to people the way that guy put it to him. And if you can't take, you know, we used to have a thing. You know, if you can't, if you can give it, but you can't take it, then don't give it. You know, and I, I, I thought it would have been so much better for him to just listen to the guy. And come back with something. I thought it was great TV when the guy suddenly spoke up, uh, mainly because I agreed with what he was saying. But mm. um, but that's an example. And yet they, it's interesting because Piers Morgan would be one of the first people to talk about left-wing snowflakes, liberal snowflakes. People mm. can't hear other opinions. He had an opinion put right to him and it upset him so much that he had to remove himself and then resign. Yeah. And it's like, I thought you were, you know, I thought this was about robust debate, mm. you know? Yeah. And you know what? But when you said there, you know, it would have been better for him to listen and to do this. I think that's beautiful what we do. Because yeah. we, 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 if it's done right, we put on a play. Yeah. And you're listening and you're going, this guy should have said this. Yeah. Hello should have done this. He should have oh. listened. Yeah. And you're like, why didn't you listen? You're nearly projecting this part of, of what we want. And we don't do. Oftentimes we don't listen. No, 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 no. In, in our personal lives to yeah. our partners. Are, you know, I had to apologize to my partner the other day um, because I didn't listen. I, did, I, I made a comment about um, a, a certain topic yeah. and she gave her opinion on it. And, you know, I, I realized after reflecting on, on on certain instances that have been happening around um what's been happening right now i reflected on it and i'm like i didn't actually listen to what she was saying you know i had an opinion that wasn't even about something i just had to share it because of my own feeble insecurities 
Right. And now, because I'm reflecting on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it now, you know? So I had to apologize to her. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think there is, it's all about where we draw the line, right? It is, yeah. And I mean, getting it back to theatre, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I can think of so many times I've seen stuff and it's made me, I have that shock of recognition. Yeah. And I think, oh, shit, I could end up like this guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Through I know one of the most triggering uh, plays for people. And I think with David Mammoth, people either hate him, hate him, yeah. or they love him. There's never right. like, <laughs> I very find it very yeah. rare that people are like, yeah, I think he's okay. You know, it's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. a fucking idiot, or you know, yeah. but, but Oliana, right? Like, you cannot, if that's done right, you cannot walk out the theater without having an argument. <laughs> no, you can't, because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed yeah. to be he was right, no, she was right, yeah, but like he was right, but or she was right, yeah. but. and that's for me some of the most perfect pieces of theaters is that when yeah. I want him to say something say you're sorry or say you love or say this because I want to be able to do that in my life. And I feel like if that person is on stage, says it, I can say it. Absolutely. You know, I, I, absolutely. That's where I love with theatre, you know, and, yeah. and, and film. Yeah. And that's what I strive to do. Well, we're all striving we to do. I don't know how we got here from, from, <laughs> you know, we've been talking really deep and I'm so glad we have. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. And I'm, I'm I'm glad we brought up these these um instances. And I don't I'm not um I'm not an expert in everything that's going on. So I, I do have my opinion and I do say and I'm thankful that you said it, you know, me and Shay have known each other a while, we're great friends, and we do have that realization that we are two men, yeah. we are two white men, and yeah. and there is a level of of our point of view coming from a certain way of life and a privilege, a certain privilege, and that's not to say that we haven't had hardships, but yeah, 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 yeah. we've we've had that. So I want to say that in the podcast because yeah. I don't want people to think that you know we're speaking out of turn or you know because I know oh my goodness, we've got blind spots, but you know we, we I think we're both sincerely trying to wrestle with these issues and um, yeah, they're big things, man. They're big things, and, and there's overreach on one level and there's another thing. You know, it's um, it's very tricky and. I think art has a place that a, a place for all of that. It's it's almost sometimes I think of a of a play or a film. It's like a controlled detonation, like right. you know you're gonna blow something up. Yeah, uh, but we all know we're gonna come, and we're gonna we all know. Look, man, we're gonna set this bomb off at this time. You need yeah. to be there. You, you can't. You know this is what's happening. Come and watch this bomb, and uh, that's that's also what we can do. You know. Mm. And I think that's why I'm a, I guess I'm a theater guy because it seems like I'm talking about theater all the time. I um, had the same question. Someone asked me that you seem to talk about theater a lot. And I think it's just because yeah. it's my prime, it's where I first learned these things. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I exactly. love film and I I I I feel I don't want to be talking like negative, but I feel like I just know theater a bit more, or I, I learned how to be an actor or how to be an artist on a stage first, you know. <laughs> Exactly, it's our first, it's our first experience of acting, and it's our first experience of that. You know, the power of it um, is is almost always, almost always, uh, with the stage. But I think it's interesting how theatre has survived. Uh, it survived radio, it survived film, it survived TV. It's surviving. It's just about surviving cell phones, 
Um, and it's because there is something so electric, there is such a powerful need to go on these journeys together and to have, uh, to go to, to, we all, when we go to the theater, we all tell the story. The, the, the audience is telling the story uh, as well as the actor. And that is absolutely unique. Mm. The cinema is magical, of course it is, yeah. of course. But that is somehow speaks to a very uh, powerful need in us um, to watch people pretending to be someone else. Yeah. Um, I worked with an American actor and he said, he just said it as simply as he could. Don Fellows, his name was, this beautiful old guy. He's dead now. Uh, he said, I just like working in public. That's <laughs> beautiful. It is, working in public. <laughs> I just like people looking at me. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I'm really enjoying this. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Um, Got any more? Yeah, I have a few that I want to kind of ask before I go. I'd like to ask a few kind of proper kind of... So what was one of the proudest moments in your career, if you have them? I know you probably have a lot, but what was one that kind of stands out? I don't like saying the proudest because yeah. it's like asking you, what's your favourite movie? It's like, oh, this and this and this and this, you know? Well, it's, like, it's like saying, what, who, which one of your children is your favourite? Yeah, like you know? Um, I, 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 as I think I said earlier, I, I, you're right. I don't have favourites, and and I'm proud of all of them. Uh, but the, I think that first, uh, the front line at the Globe, that was just such an, that was an extraordinary experience. That was a really extraordinary experience to watch that, and um, it was. Uh, it was the first time they'd done a contemporary play there. Mm. They've done, they've always done new writing. A lot of people misinterpret, they think, oh, you were the first person. They always did new writing, but the deal was always that you wrote about a historical period until the front line, which was 2008. Um, and um, that was really magical. There was such a lot of curiosity about whether it would work. It was just, it, it just, a lot of things came together. Um, I, it was the first time working with Matthew Dunster. I, I really adore Matthew. Um, and um, it was extraordinary. It was a cast of 24. I managed to get a whole load of people who were like people I'd known for 20 years um, into the show, some former students. And Matthew also had managed to get some of the people he'd loved as well. So there was just this incredible family feeling to the show. And then there was so much curiosity about whether it would work. And there was skepticism as well about, you know, you can't do a contemporary play at the Globe. You know, they're going to swear and, you know, and all this. And uh, the um, the first couple of previews uh, were just electric. And then we, we built up to the press night and um, there was this incredible storm that started to fall around five o'clock and we were going up at seven. And I just kept looking at the sky and I was like, it's just not going to stop. It just isn't going to stop. And I actually went in a toilet and I, I had a little cry because <laughs> I was like, my press night is ruined. No one can hear anything over this rain. And what are people going to do in the yard? It's, it's an open air theater. They're going to be fucking drenched. And the cast just, they, they, they seemed to take the play on as a real mission. There was a lot of people who hadn't been at the Globe before 
they were not obvious globe actors. And the play was about drug dealers in Camden, it was about homeless people and heroin addicts and gangsters and lost souls, if you like. And, and they just fucking grabbed hold of each other. And they went out on that press night in the pissing rain and just battered the play. And it was such an electric feeling. And there's, you know, 1,700 people there. Wow. It's like seven, yeah, 700 yeah. people in the yard. And then there's a 1,000 sitting there. And, and it just rocked. It had this incredible um, energy that was so powerful. And uh, it was a big, big, big night. And it went down extremely well. It didn't stop raining for the whole show. It just kept going all the way for the whole two hours. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, afterwards going to the bar, kind of like shell-shocked a little bit. Um, Actually, I'll tell you something else that happened in that that was interesting, was that um, my dear friend, Joe Martin, who's someone I've known forever, she's a brilliant actress. She timed a joke and the whole place just exploded in laughter. And I had a, a very strange, powerful feeling. I was like, I have been born for this moment. And none of this is me. This is, I'm just, you know, that this is my purpose. And that in fact, this is coming from someone else. This is just what I'm supposed to be doing is this. I was supposed to write that joke. Joe Martin was supposed to tell it. These 1700 perfect strangers were supposed to roar with laughter. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it, it was a very kind of religious moment actually. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I remember going to the bar and I couldn't get to the bar. I just, there were so many people coming up that it took me an hour just to get to the bar to get a drink. And um, we just partied all night long. And I was so excited that I went up onto Hampstead Heath where we went for a walk. And uh, about five, six in the morning, the sun came out and just all the clouds parted. And this blazing sunshine came down. And, and I, that, whether that's my proudest moment, it, it's it's it was a really magical night, yeah. you know. I, I, and I've been blessed—a career full of really just wonderful nights. But that was, I think, the scale of it, and the fact that it was spiritual. It was, it was spiritual, but and it was new. No one had done it. Mm. Uh, no one could take that away from me. And and so that yeah, that um, and those moments keep you sustained. They sustain you. Uh, through the grim times, you know, you're like, no, I, that was incredible. And it doesn't show up on your bank balance. It, you know, yeah. people who were there were there. And a couple of years later, people were like, well, I wasn't there. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, but it, it, it fuels you, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those moments, like you said, no one could take them away. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. 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 And, and to me, they're worth more than money. Um, At the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, yeah. You could be on a deathbed in a mansion, you could be, but the money's not going to mean anything. Is that that will mean something? But that yeah. will mean something, you know? Absolutely. I'm not taking away from money. You know, money can be a great thing and it can be a horrible thing. It can. That money was there to fund that play. There was money there yeah. to fund that theater. So I'm not we didn't do it for free. What I'm saying is, is that is that it's the moments that are more uh, that that you leave with, you know. Totally, 
totally uh, yeah no absolutely i remember being broke and then mum getting a job and we had a washing machine it's like what yeah. <laughs> um, so i know what money can do uh, but um i don't think if you offered me a million pounds and said you can have the million or you can have that night i i like to think i'd take that night <laughs> i'm glad no one tested me <laughs> Oh man, Jay, I could talk to you for hours, and I hope we meet up soon so I can. Let's meet up soon, man. But, let's uh, go for yeah, let's a social distance walk. I'm around, so let's get. And I'm getting fatter, so I, I will need a walk. <laughs> I've been getting so fat. I'm, I'm the I'm the worst person to have locked down because I use that as an excuse to be lazy. You know, other people go, yeah, let's let's work out. Let's. I'm just like, let's eat. Let's let's eat. That's my. But um, I do want to say I. I I really respect you. One big thing I've learned from you, Che, and I want to say to the to the podcast because I think it's it's a really great way to live your life. Che, in in class, used to come in and say, you know, when he gave an opinion, he would say this: "I believe that seventy percent, or I believe that eighty percent." And I, it was such a mind blowing thing for me because I'm like, wow, yeah, you know what? I can have an opinion on something, but I don't have to be fully convinced. I can believe it a certain amount. And that leaves me to be swayed another way, you know? So thank you for that. I'm, you may not have thought that was um, something that, but that was one of the biggest things I've left from your class was that. I'm not taking away from your class, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it just blew me my, my mind. It wasn't an acting thing. It was just a life thing that yeah. I can believe something 60%. You know, I don't yeah. have to believe 100%, you know, and I'm a very stubborn person. So that was an amazing <laughs> thing that I've learned from you, Chain. I've learned so wow. many things. And I have to say, from, from your career, it does show that you can go anywhere and you don't have to have, you know, your life set on just being an actor. You are an actor. You are a writer. You are a director. You're a judge for RADA, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, so anyone that has any, um, I, I like to leave this, you know, I want because I, I want to finish up. I don't want to take your whole day. But do you have any last bits of advice for anyone? Any sage piece of advice? It doesn't have to be about acting. Just just in general for anyone listening. Ignore all advice. <laughs> that was a great couple. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure, bro. Thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed it. Love you, bro. Love you, man. Have a I'll speak one. to you soon, bro. I'll speak to you soon. There's so many talented people on Understudy. And there it is. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. It's always great to be able to talk to, you know, past teachers and, and people that you look up to or that you've worked with uh, so closely to kind of really pick their brains at stuff that you probably didn't get a chance to ask them before or that you've you've kind of you know you 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 develop as an actor and as a person and mature and it's nice to be at a level of maturity or a level of growth and and then go back and ask your teachers these sort of questions so uh it's always it's always a pleasure for me to speak with people that i've worked with before or that i've trained with or under before and i will have more of my teachers on and more people that um have taught me a lot of things so please check out our next ones our next podcast though is going to be a really nice one it's with a very good friend of mine a guy i was able to work 
with, on in two movies that are coming out hopefully by the end of this year or start of next year and it's the incredible Vince Knight which I am a bit jealous of his name Vince Knight that's just that's such a good acting name isn't it I, I wish I had Vince Knight as my acting name I, was, I asked him could I steal it from him but imagine that in a movie Vince Knight starring in Mission Impossible 54 I mean that's amazing Anywho, Vince Knight isn't an actor though Vince Knight is a DOP and for all you guys who uh, aren't familiar with with acting terms or industry terms a DOP is a director of photography and um, directors of photography are the guys that shoot the thing shoot the movie shoot the TV show and they're not just guys who sit on the camera and just point the camera at the actors you know they really work very very closely with directors uh, to capture their vision and it's an incredible art form and I find that not a lot of people well maybe I'm wrong in this but from you know being an egotistical actor you know a lot of times we give a lot of credit to the actors or to the to the directors and writers and and which should is good but also there's there's a lot of other people behind the scenes in a in a in a movie or in a, in a TV show that really make it absolutely magical and one of the one of the most uh, detrimental is the is the DOP they are, they really do make the movie as beautiful as it is you know them and the editors really create something so beautiful and so amazing and they, they can be really um, they can really make a movie go from you know 9 to a 10 so um, it's been a pleasure to have Vince on because I was able to ask Vince some stuff that you know I wasn't really aware of so it was nice learning from Vince and it's always nice to see a different perspective in the uh, entertainment industry or in the movie industries so please check out Vince Knight. Vince Knight was involved in really big movies he um, he was the DOP in Method to, uh, Method to the Madness um, with Jay and Silent Bob and if anyone who doesn't know who Jay and Silent Bob is you should check them out you know they did Clerks they did Dogma they did a lot of great movies um, and uh, Method in the Madness is is a great movie you guys should check it out too and uh, yeah Vince was was a part of that so I, can't, I haven't seen it yet so I can't wait to see it now and uh, I can't wait for you guys to enjoy it so see you guys next time there's so many talented people on understudy.